Today's guest is Christian Gonzalez. He is the host and producer of the podcast Monsters of History, which examines the origins and cultural implications of creatures and criminals deemed monsters throughout time. Christian draws on his work as a high school teacher in New Jersey to examine and explore these stories through an educational and entertaining lens. His podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to check that out. Uh, he's done people from H.H. Uh, H. Holmes to the Guac to, I think he's looking into doing things like the Sasquatch. So it's, you know, if you like monsters, which who doesn't like monsters, check it out. Uh, one big uh, takeaway from our conversation was this conceptualization of monsters and evil in society, which we get to a little bit later. It truly was a pleasure having Christian on the show today, and uh, I thank him for his time. Also, be sure to check out our website, www.probablywrong.ca, for blog posts, as well as uh, opportunities to connect with us. And be sure to share this with uh, all your friends and family. Thank you for listening. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered, this is an Open Mind, and you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, so we have Christian Gonzalez with us. Uh, Christian is the host and director of the podcast Monsters of History. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, Christian, what, but which, by the way, I think monsters, both uh, imagined and real, is such a great topic. Thank you. Yep. What, what, uh, what piqued your interest in this? What, what brought you to this? Yeah, so that's a good question. Thank you. So, and thank you so much for having me. Um, thank you. So, yeah. So I had always been in love with history ever since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up and still am in northern New Jersey. And the town I grew up in was was very instrumental in the revolu- the American Revolution. And there was this general brought in from... Uh, the German states, his name was, his name was Baron von Steuben or Baron von Steuben in English. And he actually trained a lot of the, uh, the continental army in my town for winter warfare and things like that. And so, uh, that his house and his training ground was, was made into a museum in my town in, uh, River Edge, New Jersey, uh, which is incredibly close to New York city. Um, like I think geographically seven, miles you know i I know your metric system but you know (laughs) but uh i've been to philadelphia okay but yeah people who have listened to me they know of my rabid fan base and love for the eagles so sure (laughs) (laughs) but uh so i you know my parents would take me to different places like that and also to new york city which is obviously also very historical Hmm. and one place also that's very close to that and i am really excited to do an episode on this in late October is Sleepy Hollow, which is where the Headless Horseman takes place. Yeah, it's a real place. And, you know, that's, that's so close to my house. So all that sort of melded together. And I grew up, I always felt like I was almost like, I would never like scary things. I always felt like if I watched a scary movie as a kid, I would not like it. But uh, every year at my elementary school, we would, for Halloween, we would have like 
you know, a, a costume parade. And then we would also uh, have like a, almost like a movie marathon. And, you know, I guess, I guess as you get older, the kids choose scarier movies to play. And they did the movie, uh, not the original from the seventies, but a newer one, when a stranger calls. And I, I loved the concept of horror. I loved the psychology behind why we like to get scared. And uh, when I grew up, I guess, oh, I'm still you know, getting older, but uh, you know, I became a teacher and uh, I teach, I teach history and I started, I, I wanted kids to, to continue on loving horror. So I started, you know, the horror movie club and I thought, you know, and then the quarantine happened and I thought, mm-hmm. wow, what am I supposed to do with all this free time? And so I thought, let me make a podcast and the rest is history. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I actually was a teacher before too, which is. Oh, wow. What subject? Well, I, I was an elementary school teacher. Oh, so you were everything. I was everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not good at any one thing. So. <laughs> But then I became a counselor, and that's when I love talking to people, uh, and and that's sort of what brought me into this. So it's interesting how our, you know, our jobs have brought us into you know our now our hobbies and our Absolutely. passions, right? Mm-hmm. So I I like what you said about um, about history and the psychology of being scared. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we like being scared? Can you tell me a little bit about that? I think it's an escape. I think it gives you some sort of like an adrenaline rush. And I think knowing pretty for sure, for certain, you know, you, you aren't going to be harmed in this. But um, I think it's it controlled. gives, yeah. it's controlled. And I think it gives humans uh, or hum, human beings, I guess I, uh, there's a better term for this, but maybe like a false sense of conquering something because, you know, like horror is, for the most part simulated you know nothing is actually happening to you except for the the scare but then you realize oh you know i watched dracula so therefore i'm immune to vampiric thing you know i don't think a lot of people are thinking that but i think subconsciously somehow people would like to think that if they ever had to face something they could do so because they are into they 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 faced that in a sort of a simulated way you know, it's interesting you bring that up because um, have you ever seen the movie The Thing? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. have yeah. I? That's that's one of my favorites, yes. So, so there's the thing of like, I don't know, 1982, John Carpenter, yep. one of the greatest like monster movies ever. Of course. Uh, because they used those, uh, like those monsters were real mm-hmm. in the sense that they were like animatronics, right? Yes. But yes. then there was a remake, I think in like 2010, 2011 2010 something yeah. like that yeah it's yeah good good thing you're a historian because because it's called i'm probably wrong about everything for a reason <laughs> but uh that movie came out and it was all cgi and i remember watching it and i was like this is crap mm-hmm. whereas i could still watch the thing to the 1982 one today mm-hmm. and be like that is disgusting mm-hmm. and i think it's because like you say those are animatronics. Like somebody made those things, like do what all they're doing. And then the CGI, it's so fake. It is. And I, I will admit, I have not seen the newest one. Oh, I think it stars uh, Chris Pratt, but I was going to play it for my, 
for my, I, well, I did play it for my kids in the horror club and uh, they, they, the original 1982 uh, and they loved it. But when I ordered it on Amazon, I, I ordered the wrong one. And I, I was like, wait a minute. Cause John Carpenter specifically wanted there not to be any women in the film because it's a hearkening back to the 1950s survival horror kind of genre. And I was looking at the DVD and I'm like, wait a minute, what is this woman doing on the DVD? There, <laughs> uh, right? There's oh. not any women. There's not any women whatsoever. Um, but I, I, I would have that. to, I would have to agree with that. I, and I, I think, I think it does have to do with, uh, the practical effect, the practical effects, the fact that something you can hold in your hand makes makes it uh, effective. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've always found body horror, which is like, uh, can you explain what body horror? I'm not good at explaining these things. What well, is that? I, yeah, I, you know, I think probably the most famous body horror type of thing is if, if I think I. I assume this is what you mean is like the alien, the chest burst. Yeah. 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 Like this you body know. explosion and it's like, gr- yeah. it's grotesque and it's visceral. It's like a visceral grotesqueness. What's that mm-hmm. movie? Brain. Is it head, brain scanners or scanners? And the guy's head just blows up. I'm not familiar, but oh, okay. uh, I would, I would think the, mo- it's not the original body horror film, but the most famous is the alien chest burst where the little baby alien kind of pops out of, the chest obviously but i think like some of the original stuff is um uh well there's this movie called the tingler which is you know that tingling feeling in the back of your spine is actually some sort of a parasite in order to kill the parasite you need to scream and if you hold them to scream it will it'll kill you and it was a very gimmicky movie back in the (laughs) 1950s uh, it was directed by William Castle, starring Vincent Price. So Vincent Price is famous for a bunch of stuff, but uh, a lot of his stuff was a lot of corny horror movies as well. So, uh, yeah. But uh, but uh, what specifically about uh, body horror were you asking about? Well, I, I was just saying, oh, no, that's, that's all right. There's mm-hmm. lots of asides when we talk. So, yeah, yeah. it's fr- free speech, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was saying that I find body horror – like that to me is because it's so like the the show saw you remember those mm-hmm. i couldn't i couldn't get into that film but then there's movies like dawn of the dead and like american werewolf and it was this sort of like there's something there's something in you or whatever and it's mm-hmm. like this like you see this transformation that and it, in this like this transfiguration or whatever i don't know mm-hmm. how to explain it but i always found that way more horrifying than just like you know, mindless violence kind of thing. Yeah. You almost feel it. It's because like you said, American werewolf in London and you can see like the hands kind of bend and the face contort and you almost feel like that that's happening to you. It's, it's yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So what's, what's your favorite horror movie that you've ever seen? Oh, uh, I think for the, major horror movie enthusiast this may make might make sense but for the casual viewer maybe not creature from the black lagoon and it's because it's you know it's from 1952 you know forgive me if i'm wrong and it's considered the last like you know you could either consider it the last universal 
classic horror movie. You know, the same people who made Dracula, Frankenstein, where, uh, Wolfman, things like that. But it's also going into this sci-fi horror crap genre that the 1950s was known for. And I absolutely love the, the B-movie, the half-baked kind of ideas and the corniness that these cheap 50s movies have. I think that those are absolutely entertaining and I think it's reflective of the time. But also at, at the same time, I love the gothic horror. And I think, I think that that's the perfect melding between the two. Yeah, because the creature of the Black Lagoon, he had this big suit on and he moved mm-hmm. like super clunkily and stuff like that. He did, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've seen that one. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite horror film would be The Exorcist. Oh, that's that's a really – and, you know, it's it's funny because some films set off whole subgenres. And I feel that we're seeing that subgenre of demonic possession – kind of skyrocket now it was almost Mm. like a delayed almost like a hibernated version of that like because that was in 1970 something yeah oh way ahead of its time way ahead of its time and uh and well the there were two priests in that uh movie and the one was uh played by max von saito who also played um well, he played a lot of people. He was very famous before he passed away recently, but he played uh, one of the knights. I for, I don't remember the name in the seventh seal, which oh. is a Swedish movie. And it's, it has the very concept, the very famous concept of uh, playing chess with death. And yeah. uh, I think that that was, you know, a, a very intentional choice, I guess you could say, Uh but yeah, no, that that's I love that movie, and uh, you know, I I I I think I think it's fascinating, and I and it's funny because you could, depending on who you are, you know, if you're a person of faith, you that's all real to you. But if you are, you know, agnostic, atheist, or just you know not really into your religion, that that's a fictional thing. And for the people who believe that that's all real, and you know, I'm not criticizing one person or another for that but um uh, on either side for that matter but that that could that could happen to you so you know well i i remember the first time i watched it and it was i'm not making this up Mm -hmm. it was like piss and rain outside yeah and it was like you know it was just like the perfect setting for watching this film which was on cable Mm -hmm. and uh it like you know she kind of gradually gets like you know, rotting away kind of thing. Cause yeah. she's possessed by this demon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, this movie's nothing. And then like, she did like the head thing. And mm-hmm. I, I saw that. And I was like, okay, that's kind of creepy. And then it, it sort of mellowed out or whatever. Like nothing was going on. Like they're talking or something. And the power went out, mm-hmm. man. I've never ran so fast in my life. Like I jumped over my couch. Cause power <laughs> went out. It's like, it's, it's a blackout, right? Yeah. Run. I don't even put shoes on. I run down the street. I run to my neighbor's house. I'm like soaking wet. And I'm like, open the door, open the door. Right. Cause I, I'm at the top of my house and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to get possessed by something. Oh my right? gosh. It's yeah. like that saying, you know, there's no uh, atheists in foxholes. So yes. I, I get, I, you know, they, they open the door like, what the hell's going on with you? I'm like, I was just watching the exorcist. They're like, well, get inside. Right. Yeah. But it, <laughs> The same thing happens when we watch horror films. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Signals with Mel Gibson. 
I know of it. I haven't seen it. Okay. At yeah. its time, I saw it in theaters. I was like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this movie ain't shit. And then afterwards, I'm trying to go to bed at night. Excuse me. And there's a scene where the alien walks away and it's oh. like through the camp. It's super eerie because mm-hmm. they're all like having a party and someone's got a camcorder and you see the alien walk by. And I was freaked out. Like I couldn't sleep. And that's kind of going into movies. It's like we watch these things and we're watching them. And it's like, this isn't real. But then you go to bed, you close your eyes, and then your brain starts to think about what it's yes. seen. Right? Yes. And that's when we really feel the effect of horror films. That's when you know a good horror film. In Absolutely. My opinion. And to add to that, excuse me. When I was, of course, a teenager, you know, I yeah, would watch yeah. a lot of horror movies with my friends and especially when they would come out in theaters and things like that. And I had this one friend who would be terrified of the film when it was actually playing in front of him. But once it was over, that's it there. For me, it's a lot like you yeah. and it's where it starts kind of fermenting in your brain a little bit. And like it, like you dwell on it and you think like, Oh gee, like that's, that's really creepy. And like you, you look over your shoulder and you check around, you know? So I'm, I'm glad that you have the same sentiment because, <laughs> because I, everyone else I talk to it, we're well, not everyone else, but it seems that a lot of people have it how my friend did where it was scary when he was watching it. But once it was over, he, right. he's done. Yeah. He's, he, he must be a very fit psychological person. Do you, do you, do you remember in the early mid two thousands, that there would be these things on the internet and you'd watch them and it'd be like, it'd be like some impossible puzzle. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you need to get to the end without hitting the side. And then you get mm-hmm. super close and this face would pop up. Yep. Of course. Yeah. Those ruined my, th- that ruined my 14 year. Like when I was 14 years old, I don't think I slept at all. Cause yeah, yeah that freaked me out. Do mm-hmm. they still do stuff like that? I don't really think so. I think that, you know, I think that, you know, that that's another conversation, you know, if we're going to talk about the history of memes and meme culture, those kind of are like the original memes, you know, it's a viral thing that goes around the internet. And it's kind of funny, it, you know, it makes you think about a certain thing. I don't think that people really do that anymore. I think people have kind of grown out of the jump scare phase, because if you think about it, all these people walk out of the theater thinking, oh, the movie was okay, but there were a lot of jump scares. And I think, right. I think people have, it's cheap. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, yeah, I, I think if people, I think, yeah, I think uh, if people are looking, I think people are now looking to get scared more often. And I think escape room, I don't know how popular escape rooms are in Canada, but in the United States, uh, they they are, and yeah. it almost seems like everyone and their mother are doing escape rooms now. <laughs> uh, whether it's solving a murder in Victorian England, or you're in like a prison, or whatever it is, you know. Uh, I've done, I, I think, like maybe two or three escape rooms. Have but, you ever gotten out of one? Uh, you know, it's funny because I did one. Uh, I was on a cruise ship, and you know, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but it's a very international kind of affair where like a lot of people from everywhere are on a cruise and I was paired up with this Australian guy and he and I were 
like so close to getting out, but then this, uh, I guess this couple from, I don't know where, uh, they, they won like, and we were like, Oh, everybody was doing it kind of thing. It was like a, yeah, it was like an event on the, it was not like every single person on the cruise, but it was about like, I would say like, there was like 25 people and you were split up into teams and things. So the answer is close, but no cigar. (laughs) Well, cause I, okay. So this is my theory. Yeah. Is that when you do escape rooms, mm-hmm. there's usually it's like, yeah, let's do an escape room and maybe have a few drinks before or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you go as a big group, right? Mm-hmm. You go like, you know, five people is not a small number, sometimes more. So what do you think you'd be more successful if you went with a, like a, a large group of five people or if you went like you did with just one partner, what do you think would be more successful? I think that the sweet spot is probably around three or four people because if it's two heads working together, you're not looking at all the sides of a, the possibility. But if it's too big, you're not going to get a general consensus. Like I think if it's like, you know, more than six, you're, there's not going to be a uh, like a general consensus. I think that I think a sweet spot's like, you know, probably maybe like like a double date is like a good like yes. size. Yeah. That's, that's my theory is that if mm-hmm. my theory and you know, this is based on me doing five escape rooms, mm-hmm. but you can expand this to the larger thing of looking at a problem anywhere in life. Mm-hmm. If it's just you and one person, you can think more like it's just you and them thinking, but if it's you and five other people, you're, you all end up just doing random shit because yeah. it's like, you're like, Oh, I have a really good idea. But then they're all like, try, like we're all, they're all fighting for airtime to talk. Yeah. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like that in meetings, right? Like, you know, that's why I love doing this is because it's just you and me. It's like a back yeah. and forth conversation, but you add one person in one more person and they want to get in and stuff. So it just makes for, you know, and for the sake of time, it's like you go with one other person, your chances of succeeding are way higher. Sure. Which kind of, this, is, this isn't really like the best segue into this next part. No worries. But, but uh, I want to talk about how there's, we create monsters, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And it's almost like we live in a world and we think we know everything. And it's like this idea that monsters are out there. It's like, you know, uh, it's like the earth is flat. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, there's monsters out there. But yet we still are fascinated by them. Why do you think that is? Why do we have this interest in monsters, yet we think we're so wise and smart and advanced that there can't possibly be a Sasquatch, for example? Yeah, well... (laughs) I think it's because we, well, we have to go back to sort of like ancient civilization. And I think, you know, besides, you know, maybe about two or 3000 people in Greece, you know, the vast majority of Greece currently is the Greek Orthodox church, Christianity, same thing in Italy, Roman Catholicism, but, you know, look back, you know, to the, days of ancient Rome, they had these sort of polytheistic uh, theological structures in which they had many gods and gods for very specific things. And even uh, different, what would be the term in Latin anima, which is really spirit or soul that would 
be the protector or activator of certain things. So, you know, uh, if you look at the culture of Roman civilization, there was the God of the home place. And I'm, I don't really know who that was specifically, but, and then, you know, the doorway had a, uh, an anima, but the wood that made the door had an, and things like that. And so I think it had to do with the fact that they didn't have logical or empirical explanations for things. And so they felt that, you know, well, a God, you know, is angry at us. So he's throwing lightning bolts. Zeus is throwing lightning bolts at us. He's angry. And so, you know, uh, he's going to ruin our crops and things like that with thunder. And so, but, and even though humans have evolved to, you know, it took someone to climb a Mount Olymp to climb up to Mount Olympus to find out that the gods were not real or, well, we can't see them because they're so powerful or, you know, mm-hmm. right. So we've developed that and we, you know, through empirical research, we've developed that, but human nature, I don't think has changed. And I still think that that has to do with, uh, oh, you know, we can't find a logical explanation. So we're going to create something to assure ourselves. And the other thing too, I think it's a bit twofold is that I think it's just good fun and, you know, my most recent episode, it actually premiered uh, today, uh, is on something that only people in Northeastern America would really know about, is the American Dream Mall. And if just, just to summarize, that land has been owned and has been, I guess, zoned for commercial purposes. You know, we're talking about amusement parks, shopping. Like it's basically a big entertainment plaza, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, yeah. And since the 1960s, this is in my county, uh, my region of New Jersey. Uh, it it it's failed, and it's gone through one iteration after another, and partially it's and you know what's the reason why. There isn't any direct answer. Well, it's because of this or that. It's haunted. Well, exactly. That's what my podcast is about. And no one has really out gone out and said, oh, well, you know, it's on a Indian burial ground. Right. Or, or, But, you know, I made the point, like, this is how legends are made. Some sort of illogical or some sort of strange happening or thing hap- uh, occurs. And so... Well, you know that the reason why is because the mafia has buried bodies over there and the ghosts of the mafia are haunting the mall and that's why it's closed. And so that I think twofold, I think it's fun. I think it's a good bit of fun. And I think it has to do with, well, we don't really know what is causing that noise or that that damage to that building. So we're going to come up with something to appease or or ease our minds. Well, I I was thinking about... uh... What was what was the one that you did before Ted Bundy? I keep the squonk. Oh, uh, the squonk, yes. Squonk, yes. yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you've done, my, like I'm a hunter and I'll okay. go out in the woods and I'll see a tree branch and out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, what the, f-? like, what is that thing, yeah, right? Exactly. And it makes you think that, you know, people, they're out in the woods, you see things. Absolutely. And then you try to make an explanation, Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just how stories are told, right? I mean, you gather around a campfire and then gradually those stories are passed on. Perhaps it's similar to Sleepy Hollow, right? Sure. Who, who knows, right? Um, the other one I wanted to mention was, uh, um, ha- have you ever read Hansel and, like Hansel and Gretel, the, the Grimm brothers? 
Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Sure. They were educational in purpose. Absolutely. They were cautionary tales. Exactly. And that we created these monsters to keep children in line. Absolutely. And uh, there's there's another episode that I had called um, the Snallygaster, which is sort of a – it was – when the Germans came to kind of what is now the DC area or west of that, you know, it was this big, almost like vulture type of a bird a creature thing. And it was like, well, you know, come into the house at night when you're done playing type of a thing. So that's definitely, yeah, I, I love all those kinds of things. And that's definitely another origin for these monsters. You yeah. Know? There, there was another one too that like a super fascinating one you might be interested in, but in France, in the, you know, I want to say the 1700s, there was like this weird coyote thing. Oh, wow. That was going around killing people. Hmm. So I, I just had to pause there because I was looking it up. Uh, there was this movie in 2001 called Brotherhood of the Wolf. And it was the beast of Jevoudan. And it was between 1765 and I think like 17, what did it say, 68? Uh, some, I think it was the late 1600s, early 1700s yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So there was in, the, in the, the hills of France or something, the countryside of France, there mm-hmm. was this monster going around that was like actually killing people. Yeah. And nobody knew what it was. Apparently somebody had, you know, found and shot it or whatever. But, you know, to this day, people have no idea what this creature yeah. was. And it was actually going around killing people. And in this movie, Brotherhood of the Wolf, it was a lion that was in like armor and stuff. Obviously a very fictional film. Yeah. But it's just like, it, it's crazy that these things happen. And then, as we mentioned, we're trying to make sense of them. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the the monsters in history mm-hmm. right in i have you ever heard of clifford olson uh i'm embarrassed to say i have not it's okay he, yeah. he was in western canada and he was a serial killer he was kind of like a ted Bundy okay. sort of guy right okay and it's like the real like actual um monsters you know these serial killers like the stories they change the way that we see the world, right? Sure. So uh, Clifford Olson, before he was around in the 80s, people would go outside and play all the time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. come back when it's dark. Sort of like the Snallygaster, right? Yep. But then this guy was around and, you know, it, everybody became extremely paranoid. And it mm-hmm. changed the way that we parent, right? We became far more anxious. Absolutely. And I think about parenting today and it's like gone are the monsters of like, you know, uh, the Yeti or whatever that we're worried we're going to get hurt by, but it's just strangers out there in the world. Those are the monsters that we all fear. And it's completely impacted the way that we live our lives. Would you, what do you think about that? I would, I would agree pretty much completely. Uh, And I would, I would add to it. I would, I would um, emphasize the term serial killer was almost on nobody's mind until 70s California, Mm. late 60s. I mean, I think, I mean, I remember, I mean, my dad grew up in the 70s in New York City. And I I asked him, I mean, like, 
what what were you afraid of? Because <laughs> during like Halloween, I would look up all this stupid stuff and, you know, because I was interested in the history of it as a, as a kid. But and I realized, wait a minute, there's a lot of serial killers in California in the 70s. And I thought, like, I wonder if like drugs has anything to do with that. Like, you know, because like, I mean, nowadays we pretty much know that marijuana is of no real harm. But, you know, I think they were doing things like LSD, cocaine, heroin. And if you mix all that together with alcohol and just a constant lifestyle of that and this whole idea of individualism and you're hearing all these uh, like political theories that, you know, have to do with, I think that, and add that to horrible childhood, you know, a lot of these serial killers, and I'm not saying, well, if you grew up without a father, you're going to become a serial killer. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying with all these factors together, that's, that's going to create something. And I think, you know, maybe for better, for worse, urban legends have sort of dissipated in a way, you know, like people growing up in maybe our parents and grandparents generation would have that, oh, well, you know, like the house down the street is this. And well, if you hear that at three o'clock, it's, you know, and you know, it was all for good fun. It was, you know, teenagers telling stories to maybe their younger siblings and things like that. But that has sort of like dissipated. And I think the world has become much more afraid of real, like real things like terrorism and serial killers and war and drugs and gang violence and all those things. I think that that sort of replaced the urban legend. And I I think that's part of the reason I also created my podcast is because I'm really interested to see, I mean, I'm learning along with my viewers to see what has scared people throughout time in it. I mean, some of it, excuse me, has kind of remained the same, but a lot of it has, has evolved. And my, my dad even said like to, to, to go and tell me, tell you what he answered. He said, I'm not really afraid of serial killers because a lot of them were over or after like young, young women. And yeah, unfortunately that is true. Uh, and that brings on the real danger of uh, uh, human trafficking, but we can get, go on to that later. Uh, he was more afraid of like a plane hijacking because those were very common back then. And it was for, cause uh, back in the seventies, in the seventies, it was major. And oh. uh, he, he said that, uh, I mean, it wasn't, you know, so common that it was like very, very like, but it was, it was a common crime back then. And, because a lot of a lot of the time in the late sixties, I would say to the early eighties, along with passenger with passengers, things like money and jewels and right. and different things would be carried along with that. And so people would oftentimes kind of take over a plane and I'll land it in a field in Nebraska and I'll take the jewels and then the pilot can fly you to your final destination. So he was kind of afraid of not like terribly afraid right. of that but he said like he was he would he would often wonder like oh what would would that happen to me so not so much the serial killers but hijacking a plane which uh, unfortunately not you know 911 is a is a factor in that but this, that's kind of an outlier that hasn't right. really happened yeah. since the 80s so and, and question for you i mean in the 70s 
Um, what what year were you born? Ninety six. I'm okay. quite young. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, you're eighty nine. Okay. There you yeah. go. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, growing up in our day and age, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but I feel like I grew up in what I like to refer to as the age of anxiety. Anxiety. After September 11th, the mm-hmm. world, oh, just as, as I conceptualize yeah. it, it changed certainly for, as I imagine, the United States, mm-hmm. but definitely for us as well. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And I just... Uh, Tomorrow's I, 9-11, actually. Yeah. It, That's the crazy thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, what is it? 20, is it? It's 2001 was when it happened, so... Yeah, it's 19 years. Yes. Holy yeah. smokes. But for me, that was like, you know how there's before Christ and there's after Christ? At, like yes. These sort uh, of uh, paradigm shifts in consciousness. Yes. To me, there's like before 9-11, which is Absolutely. kind of vague and like almost like the age of innocence. Yeah. And then there's after 9-11, and it's just like, I don't know if I just became super more heightened. Like when I first heard I was 11 years old that this was happening, it was 7.30 in the morning, and my dad was like, you know, he, who, my dad was a pilot, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he said, they're flying planes into the trade center. Yes. And I didn't understand what the hell he was talking about. In my 11-year-old brain, I remember this. I thought, well, that's a weird way to like demolish a building. Like I thought it was, mm. you know, they were just trying to well, get... Re- most, most people thought it was by accident. And then when the second plane hit the, the other tower, they were, oh my God, it's a it's a terrorist attack. And being from the New York City area, I mean, right. the vast majority of people in the town I grew up in commuted or commute to New York City. And when this happened, when 9-11, when the anniversary of that happens, the classic, where were you conversation right. sort of starts. And I don't know if that translates so much outside New York. I've always wondered that. And um, it definitely does. Anybody okay. like, well, because you would have been what, five? I remember it though. Yeah. And I, I remember a pre and post 9-11 distinctly too, because uh, one time, I guess this was, this might've been 1999 or 2000. Uh, <laughs> I was able, we went to Disney World, my family for vacation and the Pirates of the Caribbean, they sell like fake rifles. Mm-hmm. And back then they were pretty similar looking to a Real, I mean, not really that similar. Like, I mean, a, you, like a musket, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were able to bring that back on a plane <laughs> with no <laughs> issue whatsoever. And, you know, and post 9-11, I mean, the design, they're now painted like neon blue and they have the orange tip and, and everything. So, but the high school I work at, which I'm not going to say because, you know, I don't want them because no it's not sanctioned by the, I mean, I have permission. I'm not going to get fired if they find out I do a podcast, but yeah. It's in Jersey City. For those who are not familiar, that is the town or the city across from New York City. It's uh, it's divided by the Hudson River. Right. Okay. So this is like how I don't know what's a good comparison. I like what's well, it'd like, be like it'd be like Vancouver and uh, Richmond. For for me, it's like it's separated okay. by a river, like an estuary, okay. and there's perfect. a city on one side and a city on the other. At perfect. Yeah. yeah. So and. My my classroom uh, and other classrooms on my side actually have a view of the skyline, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's one the the sci- one of the science classrooms they had a perfect stru- uh, stru- like view of the World Trade Center and they actually saw the planes Holy 
going into the building and the teacher didn't even believe them because like, how could you believe that? And so, you know, that's a huge, that has impacted my community massively. I mean, and you get all these, you get all these stories like, well, I was supposed to go into work, but my car was in the shop. So I took the day. It's, it's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and this kind of ties into to the, the 1970s thing, but mm-hmm. for me, it's almost like, so that happened September 11th, and then I just went to school the next day, like, do-do-do-do-do, I'm in like grade six, thinking like, what the fuck just happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what just happened? And then thinking like, not being able to conceptualize numbers, being like, I think a million people just, you know, perished, right? Mm-hmm. And it's created almost like, kind of a PTSD in our yeah. consciousness because yes. this has happened and it's, it's completely shook us because, you know, Canadians and Americans, we are heavily influenced by what goes on in America. Sure. I, 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 I'm just speaking for myself mm-hmm. uh, because we're neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. So we realized how vulnerable we are. And since that has happened, now, like you say, you go on a plane, you're not bringing a toy gun with you. There's all these regulations. Everything is so sanitized and so, uh, I don't want to, like, claustrophobic almost with all these rules, making us anxious. Meanwhile, you go to a place like, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Barbados, beautiful place. I've been Mm -hmm. there. And it's so lax, right, in terms of, like, like, you know, like you go through the airport and the security, they're like, do you have any weapons on you? And you're like, no. Like, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. They're relaxed. And it's like, man, this is kind of nice. Whereas where we live, it's, it's almost like suffocating at times. And then you talk about these, these serial killers in the seventies. And sure. I wonder too, that, you know, world war two was incredibly recent uh, at that time. Yes. Yes. And I wonder if fathers growing up and with their kids, they had PTSD. And we know that that trauma is, it's almost like uh, contagious, right? Um, there's mm-hmm. second degree trauma, right? Or second generational right. trauma. And I wonder if, it, certainly in the case of Ted Bundy, which you had mentioned, he didn't have a father. Again, not no. saying that not having a father is going to make you a monster or anything. Mm-hmm. But that is how people reacted is that they had this PTSD, you know, fast forward it to now. Now you have all these like crazy mass shootings that are happening. Like the Vegas guy. Oh yeah. You know, it's almost like we are, there's gotta be an answer for what we're dealing with. And I, I do think that there's something on our minds and our, and our hearts. That's really heavy that we need to get out of ourselves. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I'll discuss, I'll discuss shootings uh, on, on this little uh, episode here, but I try and steer clear from things that are too fresh. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like, but uh, I think that that's definitely a, a new monster. And if we take a look at the Aurora Batman film shooting, mm-hmm. I mean, that guy was quite literally trying to make himself a monster. I don't remember the guy's name. I don't think he deserves any no, remembrance. I agree but, with you. Uh, he dyed his hair orange and he had this like strange look about him. And, uh, you know, I, in a, in a strange way, he tried to make himself 
a monster, like almost intentionally. And something that uh, more more recently happened was that there was a uh, and uh, there was this. This has nothing to do with me, me being from New Jersey. This just isn't the news. Uh, there was a uh, a mafia boss in, in on Staten Island who was killed by his like niece's boyfriend or friend or something to that effect. I don't know if you ever heard of that happening, but this was like 2019. This happened, and the guy etched onto his hand like or penned it on or something like uh, some sort of like internet cult like uh, I, I don't know what what it was i don't remember but it reminds me a lot of how charles manson mm. put the swastika on his on his forehead and that harkens back to what you were saying with like the like the the living memory of world war ii with all these serial killers is that that must have brought some sort of a uh like a bad bad uh aura i guess you could say and you know a because a lot of these serial killers like hitler not i shouldn't say that like he wasn't a serial killer i'm saying similar to hitler yes uh you know what i'm saying uh english is a weird language but uh (laughs) it's constrictive that's for sure it's a little constrictive uh wanted to take take over the world and create some sort of a new manifesto and so you know and that was and a lot of these serial killers have these strange letters. So uh, uh, son of Sam, David Berkowitz, same person, had these letters. Uh, the Zodiac Killer, yet to be figured out, had these strange letters. Uh, Charles Manson, a lot of people think he wrote the book Helter Skelter, but a historian wrote that in like reaction to that. Uh, but he wrote a lot of music expressing his desires. And he felt that the Beatles were somehow on his side and they, they said, made the song Helter Skelter, yeah, uh, they, which yeah. in reality is an amusement park ride in the United Kingdom, which it, it's a slide. And the lyrics express that it's I, I well, gosh, I forgot the lyrics like, but I go back into the bottom of the slide or whatever. So it's describing a ride in an amusement park, not a racial war. Yes, so, which is what Charles Manson had said it was. was, it was this, yes, yeah. and he felt that they were. And w- well, this is the weird thing. So, and it doesn't make any sense uh, in any way. But let's say, for argument's sake, that you know he's right that the white race is superior, but which is not. You know, all races. There was one race, human race, right? But yeah, the the African Americans would beat the whites in this war somehow, even though they're inferior, and that Charles Manson along with maybe 10 more people were going to hide in this bunker, come out and then kill all <laughs> African-American, yeah. Yeah. which it, it doesn't make any sense, but. And, but I do? mean, but that guy didn't make any sense. And yeah. the crazy thing is, is he was, apparently he was so uh, charming. Like his uh, Charles Manson. Well, that's, that brings up two serial killers, Charles Manson and Ted Bundy, Ted yeah. Bundy. I mean, well, Zach Efron played Ted well, Bundy, Zach right? Zach Efron is like, <laughs> such a uh, heartthrob, you know? Yeah. And so therefore, which, I, which was obviously deliberately cast that way, too. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, and, well, that's how, that's how Ted Bundy really manipulated society. Yeah. And I don't well, know. In his if, court case, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was truly an evil person. Mm. And uh, I, 
and you know, you're, you're totally fine if you haven't completed the episode, but did you, did you listen to the entire episode at all? For Ted well, Bundy? I was listening to it at work and I was like, Oh, this okay. is great. But then, then I had to go, which oh, no. brings me to my next, my next point, but sure. Finish yours. Sorry. Well, you know, I was going to say that, um, and I, I was talking to this about this with my dad. Um, cause, uh, the Catholic church's stance, I don't, I don't know what, what religion you hail from or if you, it doesn't matter, but uh, the Catholic church is a very interesting stance on the death penalty. And it's basically because, mm-hmm. you know, the Catholic church is for all intents and purposes, a pro-life entity, but they view that the death penalty in some cases is pro-life because it protects the lives of society. If a killer is so, so sinister. And we're not talking about the guy who killed his wife with a knife. We're talking about the guy who had, the Ted Bundy, like right. I was saying to my dad, it's almost as if Ted Bundy looked at the catechism, the teachings of the Catholic church and was crossing off a list to get killed with their, well, not their <laughs> approval. I shouldn't say that because right. I don't officially speak uh, almost to get killed when it was still a pro-life kind of a stance, you know, but yeah. What, what, what was your uh, next question? Well, well, cause kind of going into that, Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's like this utilitarian principle. I mean, that's what the death penalty is ultimately, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not like, you know, you did this. So, like, if you look at Viking law, have you ever read the Viking laws? It's really interesting. It's like yeah. you know, if you steal something, I get to hit you in the head with a hammer yeah. or something. It's like I don't know if that's comparable, but all right. Yeah. Um. So what? What is evil real? Yeah, I think evil is real because I think most, and I say most because I think people, some people are born with the mental incapac, like inca- they are mentally incapable of understanding good and evil, and I think that that's some sort of a mental disease. Hmm. Um, I think ev- I think evil is real because all human beings, you know, whether it's taught or you're born with it, I don't think anyone really knows has an understanding of good and bad, and I think, for example, let's say. Uh, uh, to go back to another circle or son of Sam, he said he, he was very uh, like apologetic. He had his, he, he repented, he converted to Christianity in, in prison and he has no chance of parole whatsoever. And he, he's still alive. He's still alive. Uh, son of Sam. And I said it in my podcast. I said, if there was any serial killer that you actually believed was sorry for what he did, it would be son of Sam because huh. he has no chance of parole whatsoever. He, right. There's no chance of him getting out yet. He professes that he is sorry. And he holds like, you know, Bible studies and all these like very charitable things within the prison confinements. So I, you know, I, it's tough to say whether that's an act or not, but it, in my in my perspective, I don't think it's an act. I think that he had some sort of genuine change of heart. Um, but to, I, I think evil is real for sure, because I don't think anyone likes being like bopped on the head. But, and I think a lot of people choose uh, to commit evil or to commit sin for their own personal gain. And I think all sin or wrongdoing roots back to say, selfishness and you know you could uh you know i 
I think that the Adam and Eve story is, is, is fictional. It's a spiritual truth rather than a historic or scientific truth. But the, the sin that Adam and Eve committed was not biting the apple. It was selfishness. It was, I don't need God in my life. I can have all the wisdom and here we go. And, you know, they did it for their own personal gain. And I, and that's original sin as it's, you know, said so, uh, so I think that people make a conscious choice to do wrong, knowing that they're doing wrong because they feel it's a, some sort of a personal gain. And, you know, I, <clears throat> uh, a lot of these people know the difference between right. So, yeah, I do think evil does exist. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I, I like your answer. I mean, do you have kids? I do not have kids, no. Okay, so I, I have a year-old daughter. And... The truth is, is that, uh, you know, every, uh, maybe I'm disagreeing with you here, but no, go kids, for it. kids need to be educated, right? Like my Absolutely. daughter will just hit you in the face, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if you let her, she's going to keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to educate her. You know, that's not right. And kind of like what you're saying is, you know, good and evil or, you know, good and bad. These mm-hmm. things are educated, right? Like... The Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, and I am not a religious person. Okay, yeah. But it's just like, it just makes sense. If you want to have a functioning society, you can't go around killing everybody, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to have a working society, you can't go around stealing. Like, if you want to be safe, you have to follow these rules, right? And that's kind of what it comes down to is that doing what's right is what's going to keep society functioning right Mm -hmm. and that's why these monsters serial killers you know whatever they may be that's why they're so shocking is because they're the ones that could you know create complete upheaval in society absolutely right yes yeah and 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 so it's like are people inherently evil i don't know no i i don't i don't think so to go back to your daughter you know, I think that also has to do with, uh, you know, she is a one-year-old. And I think yeah. part of it is um, her getting a sense of her physical presence and yes. like spatial, spatial understanding. So, you know, it's the same way how a toddler will stumble when they, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I don't think, I, obviously your daughter is not trying to hit people intentionally for the, for her personal gain or for to, for to, for her, for other people to suffer. Um, but there, but there is a degree of conditioning. Right? Absolutely. So no, yeah. Which is kind of what I was trying to get at. It's like, if you hit something, right. And if people aren't like, ow, or like if, if, if it's communicated to them that that's all right, mm-hmm. they're going to keep doing it. But if it's communicated to them that it's not all right, like if you reward somebody for good behavior, they're going to keep doing sure. it. But if you reward somebody for bad behavior, they will keep doing it. Exactly, right? Yeah. Which kind of goes yeah. back to parenting. It's like we need to stop. Uh, I don't even know how we got into this. We're talking about serial killers. But we need to stop appeasing people for doing the things we don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. What, what, like, do you, do you notice that with some of the kids that you work with? It's like, uh, what, what do you mean? Well, I, so 
parents are super busy where I, at the schools that I work at. Sure. And if they're complete brats, which I'm just using, you know, some honest observations. Of some Absolutely. Of the kids, yeah. The parents still get them the treat that they want. Like they could be super disrespectful to a friend okay. or to a so, teacher, but then they're still given a reward. And it just brings it back to, so how are they right. going to ever act any different? How, how are they going to be functional in society? So that actually brings, I, I love that you actually asked that question because Jersey city, I think is like, you know, it trades places, maybe top five. It's definitely in the top five, most diverse city, economically, racially, whatever, uh, religious cities in America. And probably if not the world, because, you know, I mean, London and New York are probably at, right. But, uh, you know, I think like the numbers are not too far off from 25% white, 25% mm. black, 25% Asian, and then 25% other slash Latino of any race. Yeah. So, uh, and economically, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, this is like a weird thing because Hudson County, which is the county Jersey City is in, is the most densely populated county in America. So you have all these people who have a median household income of, you know, somewhere between 100 and 200,000 uh, USD, and they live in oh, an apartment, you know, so right. there's, there's a concept of, of poverty, even though there isn't one. And so I think with a lot of these kids, uh, they are spoiled because a lot of these parents grew up in, maybe in a different country with nothing. And these kids are growing in up between two worlds, like growing up between like urban and Jersey city is not urban squalor by any stretch. Well, maybe some pockets, but <laughs> or urban squalor and, you know, things will fall in your lap. And so I think right. parents want to want them to make sure that they know that they live in a nice area. So I think a lot of these kids feel entitled. Like I remember one time uh, I asked one of my students to read something for me out, out loud and uh, she, she didn't want to. And I, I kind of talked to her on the side and she's like, well, you know uh, if you, if you want respect, you got to give respect. I'm like, whoa, you have the, you have the hierarchical structure flipped here because I'm the per and I'm not trying to, I'm not a power hungry person, but nope. I'm a teacher. This yeah. is the assigned role of society. Like you have to play by my rules, not the other way around. So uh, I definitely see like a sort of like a, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, type of a thing with my with my kids um and you know for the most part i think that they'll grow out of that and i think they'll realize you know uh the world will knock them on their ass yeah when they, like especially when they go to college or try to find a job i think that that will they'll realize oh wait a minute maybe my mom but at the same time you know a lot of these kids come from immigrant families where they're like well you know we need you to succeed because like you have an opportunity here and you're not going to screw it up. And so maybe they'll get, and I'm not saying that these kids are abused in any way, but may, maybe they'll get like a, like a reprimanded sometimes. So I think it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a mix. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, because I, 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 I just think like. Did you I know, answer your question? Well, yes, you did. I mean, especially okay. with that lady, it's mm-hmm. with that student, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of, well, you got to respect me. Well, mm-hmm. I, first of all, I wasn't doing anything to disrespect you. <laughs> right. I asked right? you to read in a classroom. Yeah. 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 I asked you to do your job. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of sort of kind of goes back to this, but are we creating monsters? And when we kind of just educate poor behavior, right? And that's why I think, I I don't know about you, but it's like, you have to be firm. Yeah. And in today's day and age, I don't think we're very firm. No, I I mean, I think in the United States with with the election coming up, the whole thing of like, SJWs and snowflakes is kind of like being oh, shown social. Up. Ju- I'm like social justice warriors. Yeah, social yeah, justice yeah, warriors. Yeah, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I like. There's, I guess, there's maybe a small, very small language barrier between American English and Canadian English. I don't know if SJW. Oh no, it. that's just because I'm not very well educated on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, well, I guess the biggest like, and you know, there's rabble rousers on, on both sides. There's people who argue on both sides. And I I think that our gen, I don't know if you would consider yourself millennial or gen X, but I would consider myself on the, I would consider myself on the tail end of millennials. Our generation is looked under a microscope, like, whoa, these people don't want to own a home. These people don't want to get a real job. And, you know, I can think of a rabble rouser. uh, And I, I know that's a negative term uh, on, you know, your side of the St. Lawrence, I guess you could say, or your side of the 49th parallel is Jordan B. Peterson. Okay. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe, okay. Wait, why is he such a controversial figure? Uh, okay, I've so... Started, I've started listening to his book, and I'm sure. like, I don't, I don't know if I'm hearing what's wrong about this. So Being, being mindful that I am a white, straight male, you know what right. I mean? Like, being yes. aware of my own identity, right? Sure. Yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that uh, a lot of people are walking on eggshells nowadays Mm -hmm. about race, gender, religion, things like that, you know, and Jordan B. Peterson being a being of the school of psychology says, well, I think that transgenderism is is really the mental uh, disorder gender dysphoria and I think a lot of people who which I, I think that's something to the effect of like something like I don't know like three percent of people claim that they are transgender of any degree because you know there are some people who feel that they're a man stuck inside a woman's body but they're fine how they are and others will go through a full surgical transition uh, but so you know I, those people who do identify as a transgender will feel obviously offended by that. They he's reduced right. what they feel is the truth uh, to really a mental dis, a disease. Uh, there, you know, I don't think he's calling them nuts or a lunatic or anything like that, but they may feel that he is. And uh, you know, I think the LGBTQI, I don't know right. how long the alphabet's become community has felt you know it, it's gone it's had a shockwave kind of effect and so and something similar and you know viewers of uh 
you know, I'm probably wrong about everything. Fact check me on this. A lot of people criticize current vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, for wanting to give electroshock therapy to uh, homosexuals. And don't get me wrong. He's a conservative. He's an evangelical did he do, Christian. Did he want to do that? I don't know if he's ever oh. said that or not. That's, that's the thing. messed think, up. Yeah. Well, if that's true. Yeah, it's messed right? up. But yeah. at the same time, if they're putting words in his mouth, that's also messed, messed up. Messed up. So that's a pretty, you know what? Actually rewind that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if, if the, if the alt, left is putting is creating that story and you know i it's important they recognize that there's an alt left and an alt right because in the united states people only look at the alt right and i think that that's incorrect because there's a huge spectrum of political beliefs but continue well i I, to say look communism is alt left right Mm -hmm. fascism is alt right absolutely communism the soviets russia uh communist russia Mm -hmm. fascist Nazis, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so if, if they're putting, I, I have to think here, I'm like, where am I going with this? <laughs> but I if they're putting mean. those words of he wants to do shock therapy on people, that's like a violent thing to say. It is a violent thing to say. In, in yeah. terms of like, that's just completely slanderous, right? Mm-hmm. If he said that, that's completely messed up. But if they're saying that he said that, that's really messed up too. Yeah, which I I haven't done I haven't that's done the demonizing. proper research. I haven't yeah. done the proper research to uh, say which one is true or not. I sure. Yeah. You know, I, I like to keep my my I I like to keep a little bit of an eye and ear on the political scene, but I'm not super political at all. You'll probably notice that I will bring up religion before I will bring up uh, politics and my podcaster on any basis. But uh, not, you know, more analyzing how religions are rather than promoting or denying one or the other. But, um, but yeah, I, that's that's an interesting uh, point. But uh, I I I do think that we could create monsters of some sort. I think that mm-hmm. if we enable people, enough, and this brings back another thing too. This it just clicked in my head. World War Two, in a way, for Great Britain. And, you know, Canada was affected by this. Uh, what, uh, you know, Great Britain felt, you know, the effects of World War II because of enabling Adolf Hitler. You yes. know, uh, it was basically, well, you know, there's a small region of Czechoslovakia, what was then Czechoslovakia, that's full of German speakers. You know, I feel that uh, we lost that since the First World mm-hmm. War. And a lot of these people feel the same sentiment as Germans do. Can we get that back? Okay. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. And there was a, you know, uh, Neville Chamberlain very famously yeah. waving that paper in the air saying, Oh, look, you know, forget about. He's an all right on. guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. And, yeah. Uh, like, oh. well, <laughs> well, I just say it like, could you imagine being the guy in history saying that? Oh yeah. I bet Hitler. He's actually not a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, think anyone's going to forget that. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's, it's funny because in my own New Jersey, there's a huge uh, German nationalist group called um, the Bunt. And this was in places like Newark and even in Jersey City and things like that, where they, they were very interested in German nationalism and they were very aligned with the Nazi party back then but once hitler had the idea mm-hmm. of like hey let's let's 
I kill the Jews, they, right. they basically disbanded. But, um, so, you know, then there was a time where, uh, Hitler, Mussolini and all the other fascists, which there weren't too many, were de- seen as like these, these economic saviors because these countries were in economic ruin and, you know, whether it was because of fascism or not, a lot of these countries had an economic boom. So a lot of the countries like, uh, I don't know if it, I forget what newspaper they, uh, they interviewed Mussolini as like this hero. They were fascinated by Mussolini. They were a huge fan of Mussolini. And then once he aligned himself with Hitler and, you know, was invading Ethiopia and was aligned with killing the Jews, they were like, wow, this guy's actually a nut job. So but yeah. but like you were saying is mm-hmm. they allowed this to happen sure. by not having boundaries sure right like when hitler annexed the sudetenland or, or whatever it was mm-hmm. called the yep. history guy uh it was the sudetenland yeah 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 it was mm-hmm. like okay all right uh that's not that bad but then they invaded Poland and they're like, okay, that's that was enough like, of this. Yeah, there aren't any Germans there. Yeah. yeah. But by <laughs> then it was like it was too late. It was way too late. And then the Battle of Britain was happening and then it was really too late. And then yeah. and then Pearl Harbor and then yeah. And and that's why and again, you know, heavy extrapolation. Mm-hmm. But we can't just have one sided arguments, right? Like Absolutely. This is this is to me, this is the real monster is that we're not able to have conversations where say you're on, uh, you know, you're on the right or the left of the political spectrum. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say what side you're on and I'm on the opposite mm-hmm. and we're having an actual conversation. That's the Absolutely. solution. But right now it's like, this guy's a monster and people are like, yeah, he is. And nobody is actually fact checking anything. We're just emotionally thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real monster that we're creating today, right? Is the zeitgeist I, yes. of, it's a zeitgeist of information, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are like, uh, you know, throwing away the bathwater with the baby in it kind of yeah. like, and like they're like, you know, in the United States, it's innocent until proven guilty, but a lot of society, it's almost like the angry mob with pitchforks when something sort of happens and then they shoot first and then ask questions later. And so, and like, you know, uh, so very recently, and it was, it made like very like minor news. It was buried by a lot of the Black Lives Matter and coronavirus stuff, but right. they were like, oh my gosh, we got to cancel Tom Hanks. We got to cancel, cancel. And, you know, uh, because he was found on Epstein's Island and, it was a false claim completely. He I wasn't mean, on he wasn't on Epstein's Island. He was not on Epstein's Island as far as I researched. But uh uh yeah, I mean and that's to add on to what you're saying, do do these you know, you, you could say that these false claims create uh legendary monsters, fictional monsters in the people they're accusing, but also the mob themselves almost become a monster too. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, oh my goodness, Tom Mark Twain. Tom, sorry, Mark Twain. Mark Twain. He famously said, and I'm paraphrasing here, something like, "If you find yourself on the side of everybody else, it's a good time to look at yourself. Like if Absolutely. you find yourself in the mob mm-hmm. of you know dissenters or whatever, 
that's a good time to maybe ask yourself, why am I here? And right. a friend of mine said this, he said it beautifully in, in the last podcast I did. His name is Chris Francisque. He talked about performative elements mm. and practical elements. So for example, in the Black Lives Matter, um, and you know, people are just taking selfies of themselves. He says, yeah. and he's, he's of Haitian background. Mm-hmm. He's black. And uh, he says, that's, that's performative. That's not real. Yeah. Right? But when they're making, they're making choices that are informed to educate themselves on the lack of uh, equality of, of uh, minorities in Canada or mm-hmm. North America or wherever, that is a practical element, Right. Does that make, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, what are you doing? You know, so sorry. You yeah. Say something? No. Uh, and like, you know, in, in the United States, I don't know if it's a popular term in Canada, but there's the term slacktivist that you're slacking <laughs> at being an activist. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling yeah. is another one too. And like sitting in an echo chamber, but I actually had, I, I, I you know, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions about. Absolutely. Uh, so. Like, I, I am, and and just to be uh, Christian, I am mm-hmm. looking at the time. Are you okay for? I'm totally okay. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. only eight twenty one. Yeah, so okay. Um, okay. I believe in getting a good night's sleep, though. Okay, I'm a big. Yeah. So, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, well, not because it's nine eleven. This is a coincidence, but I do have the day off tomorrow. So okay. I, yeah, but so I noticed this while I was doing research for Ted Bundy that. Uh, you know, a lot of Americans say, well, we're woefully behind uh, in this, that, or the other thing. Like maybe it's like the drinking age or legalization of marijuana, but the death penalty, if you look at the places that banned the death penalty, it was so early on. And like, I would say a good majority of the states, I, I don't know how many out of 50 have it, but a good amount have the death penalty. Does Canada have a death penalty? No. Okay. I thought, I didn't think so. Uh, I, I thought maybe like, you know, if any province did maybe like, uh, I don't know, Alberta. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're not wrong there, man. Yeah. Cause you they're are not wrong. They're more conservative, aren't they? Um, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're an, they're an interesting prop dude. The provinces of Canada are so like, it, they're like separate countries. Like, it, I don't know. Seems that way. I have no idea what the Eastern Canada is like. Well, having been there, it it's really interesting. I mean, you're you you said before that you're Scottish, Nova yeah. Scotia. I mean, New Scotland. Yeah. yeah, and you know all the other like PEI. Oh my gosh! Like if you want to know more about Scottish heritage and things like, go go. I mean, it's in your country. Uh, the other, well, now I have another question. I noticed, like, okay. Totally off topic. Go ahead. But he's becoming very famous within Canada because I've I've been on both coasts. Uh, sure. I'm I've been very grateful, uh, blessed for that. But uh, he was from Alberta. I don't know if Edmonton specifically, but he moved to Vancouver. Philip Solo. Don't know you, who that is. Okay, he's a YouTuber and he's famous for reviewing the worst reviewed or tasting the worst reviewed whatever. It almost seems like you guys are not in so much of a Corona frenzy as the United States is. If you walk into a store, I don't know if you're in Vancouver, uh, like proper, but like, do you have to wear a mask? That's an excellent question. Cause he was walking around in malls and no mask or nothing like so. And he's in Vancouver. 
Currently, yeah. Okay, so uh, we have a uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry is like our... Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Fauci. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, who? by the way, I know that guy. He's done a great job from what I Mm -hmm. understand. Yeah. Um, She said, there's this element of, we're not going to police you. We are going to expect that you do the right thing. Okay. So there's a social pressure to, Mm -hmm. you know, social distance, to be, uh, you know, to not touch, to wear masks, to be mm-hmm. kind, right? And uh, it was an amazing tactic because if you use social pressure to make people do the right thing, what do they do? They do the right thing. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. But right now, I think people are starting to get a little bit um, tired and they're mm-hmm. forgetting that this is apparently a pandemic, right? A mm-hmm. deadly virus. And we're becoming a little bit uh, loose with how we're approaching this. So, but, but she's done a great job, but uh, to answer your question, it's, we're getting it, but I think I, I have this feeling that we're getting a little bit tired of it. Mm -hmm. I would say, I would say, especially in rural areas in the United States, of which there are a lot. um, Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. But um, they are getting really tired because, I mean, they live in very small towns in which they know everyone. And, well, if no one has it, why do we have to wear masks, right? Because, and it's it's in a town in which there are no visitors or anything. So in those parts of the country, I think they're tired of it. And I think that they are a bit more lax with it. New Jersey was at one point the worst. Yeah, New York was because they got hit by it. In like the onslaught from what I understand. Yeah, yes. Uh, but now New Jersey, you know, knock on wood, they are now Ooh. doing a lot better. Uh, like I think they're like eighth or ninth in the country now yeah. by out of 50. Uh, and the cases per day are down. And I think it, it does have to do with the fact that, uh, you know, oh, there's a bit of controversy with Governor Murphy putting people in retirement homes and for you know which they got worse but right that's the same happened here retirement homes were like a really bad spot yeah because those people are the most vulnerable to this COVID-19 right from from Mm -hmm. what I understand yeah but uh you know now now I would say almost like all places like I would say like 99% of places of businesses are open to for physical entry at some sort of a capacity Mm -hmm. which is which is good but I don't know how much longer it will go, but um, to go back to sort of to sort of slowly segue back to the monster thing in Canada, because yeah. uh, like I, I think a lot of people would view police officers as monsters. I mean, I personally like I don't want to put my personal opinion there, but what is like the racial tension and diversity like in Canada? I mean, I know it's a very racially diverse place, especially in cities. But it, I feel like it's a bit more homogenous, at least race-wise. I feel like everyone is a variant of some sort of a European ancestry. Like, I know there's a lot of Ukrainians and Italians and Irish and Scottish in Canada, but... That's a, that's a, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll give you my answer and, and mm-hmm. say that, you know, again, as a, as a white person mm-hmm. uh, who's aware of you know, the various privileges that I have. And let's just be honest, you know, a privilege is anything that gives you 
anything that you don't have to worry about. If you have mm-hmm. a car, that's a privilege. Sure. Right. So, um, we're, we're not as like, you know, great as we're meant to be. There's always going to be, people are always going to have tensions, right? That's just how we are as a species. Mm -hmm. So we need to educate ourselves, right? We need to realize that, you know, um, not all white, I'm just going to use myself. Not all white people are bad, right? Well, obviously that's true, but we need to actually like develop connections with different people and different cultures to understand that, right? Because if, mm-hmm. if you grew up never having met a black person and then suddenly you do, you're going to be like, whoa, well, that's, you know, yeah. that's different. What, what's mm-hmm. that? You, you, right? Because you're not educated in it, right? Sure. So that's what this all comes down to. And I think that, um, you know, there's minority groups, for example, indigenous people in Canada. Yeah, First they, Nations, right? Yeah, they've mm-hmm. been grossly mistreated. Sure. Uh, As is the case in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, and and same with other groups. Uh, in in 1908, a, a group of uh, Punjabi people came here on okay. what yeah. was called the Kamagata Maru, mm-hmm. and they were sent back, right? Wow. Because we wanted white settlers here. Wow, right? Which it's it's funny because the the British, you know, Canada being of the British Empire and still having the Queen as your Queen. Uh, the Indians were always yeah. viewed as a, as a higher group than others. You know, like they always, it's the gem, or the jewel right. of the British Empire. So I was, I'm surprised that they were sent back because they wanted more white or British settlers. That's kind of, a, I, you know, I don't get it because. Well, similar to what of, you said about uh, confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. And, and this is true too, is that um, in certain jobs and professions, um, and I'm not trying to be the woke police, but yeah, sure. if it, it, it's like in, in politics, right? If you have a bunch of white people in power, mm-hmm. that's who they're going to communicate with. They're going to keep the white people in power kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they wanted the same people coming here. Right. Sure. It's like, or, or for example, Chinatown, that's where they kept the Chinese. Like that was, they were segregated there. Okay. Right. Yes. And uh, there needs, you know, like I, I'm all for equality, but at the same time, I'm not for like mandatory tolerance breeds resentment. Mm-hmm. And that's, does that make sense? I, I, yeah, absolutely. It does. Because I remember when I, cause I, I have my master's in history um, right. and I, I went to Seton Hall University, which is a suburb of, which is in a suburb of Newark. Um, there was a professor. Why well, I, I I forget it was like which came first, the chicken or the egg? There's there was protests already on campus. I forget what for. I you know it's probably one of those things where uh it they don't even know what they're arguing for because it happened so long ago type right. of thing. But they're arguing. And, they're mm-hmm. angry, right? Yeah. And and they they stormed. Yeah, they stormed. Uh. You know, and this was like kind of a a democratic socialist slash Black Lives Matter slash Antifa type of a group. They stormed into the faculty cafeteria, and the uh, the professor and I had him as a as a history of United States economics and the United States military was doing this. Stop! Like, stop. oh yeah, they yeah. Just took that as the 
Siege Heil, right. which like, and he's Jewish. So imagine yeah. a, a Jewish person doing that. It doesn't make sense, but they want, they wanted him removed. They wanted him and so on. And there was a lot of protests there. And there was one person uh, I, I was once in the cafeteria with, and he said something to the effect of like all this unrest and all this like give, give, give is making me feel resentful and like making me feel thoughts I never thought before, <laughs> like about people. And he here's, was angry. It was, it was incredible. Well, here's, here's the problem, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, I, I welcome anybody to challenge my views. I see myself as, as, I. as somebody in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on, cause I believe that there's things right on, on both sides of the political mm-hmm. spectrum. Sure. White supremacy is bullshit, right? Absolutely. I, I will say that till the day I die. That's Absolutely. disgusting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so is, you know, like a mandatory religious practices. That's bullshit too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah Absolutely. Like forced. Anyways, so going back to what I'm saying, if you're forcing somebody to believe something mm-hmm. that they're not understanding why, you know, like, I just want to understand why. But you say to them, you know, oh, you're such a monster. Where do you think they're going to go? They're going to hide. And then some crazy person like Hitler is going to mm-hmm. start, like I'm using him as, a, as an example. He's going to sure. start saying things and you're going to think like, oh, this guy, he understands me. He's got a point. Yeah. And then they're going to start following him, even though he, he might not agree with everything that Hitler said. Because if you look at history, something similar happened. Hitler was saying all these things. And he was talking about getting people out of poverty and stuff like that. And he didn't talk about the Jews at first, at, at no. the, the problem of the Jews. And then he did start talking about that. And most people in Germany were like, okay, that's kind of strange. I don't agree with that. But eventually they were like so brainwashed by this. Yeah, And that's why I'm so against um, – there just has to be a conversation here. We can't just – cancel people right yeah we have to give mm-hmm. them a chance to speak we got to give them a fair trial sure that's what this kind that's what our countries are based on Absolutely, fair trial. Yeah. i mean english common law has the magna carta you know right. english common law has gone a long way and you know it we do need to be more we need to hold each other more accountable yeah. too mm-hmm. and, and, and i just think that the cure yeah, here's my belief, you know, please mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but the cure for all of this is we got to listen to each other. We need to be more kind. We just need to be more kind, mm-hmm. but we need to have boundaries. Like being kind to someone doesn't mean you're a pushover. Sure. Right. You still have to stick up for yourself and say, you know, I disagree with that or don't do that. Right. You know what I mean? You have to have boundaries. You have mm-hmm. to educate people. But we can't just expect people to know what we want or, you know, expect us to understand our well, social I, justice things, right? Yeah. Well, I think it has – I think part of it, what, what you're saying, and I think what you're trying to get at is we need to find some sort of a middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went way off topic there. I just we did, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> I, we, I liked yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am just looking at the time here. 
Sure. And, uh, I have to get going. So okay. I, I want to end talking about your podcast. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So the most recent one you just did was, um, who was it on again? It was the Mall of America? Uh, it was, no, no. So the Mall of America is uh, in Minnesota, the American Dream Mall. American Dream which Mall. Is in New Jer- which is in New Jersey. And I, and I did it almost a, like a tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing. So as, as I mentioned before, this place has been owned by some sort of investment group since the 60s. But then it got a lot of – and they didn't start building something until – the nineties and it got a lot of backlash because of environmental concerns, because it's located in a very one of a kind kind of environment called the Meadowlands. I don't know if you're familiar with the Meadowlands, but it's like, like a lot of interesting uh, wildlife and uh, floral, floral fauna type of things live there and it's protect and people feel it should be protected and it should be protected. Uh, and they didn't want a big shopping mall and big parking lots to kind of put that away. And so, but basically investment companies have basically tried to buy, like, you know, buy the land, build something there, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and all of them have failed. And most recently the American dream mall was built by a group called the triple five group, an investment company. And it was supposed to have a shopping mall. It's a big, big shopping mall with restaurants, indoor amusement parks, a ski slope, all these sorts of things. And, um, and the concept for the American dream mall, it was finally built and opened in 2019, but the concept for it existed since, Oh goodness, like 2002, maybe even before that. And uh, the original name uh, was Xanadu. And that's what I grew up hearing was, oh, the Xanadu is being built. The Xanadu is being built. And that's a very ugly name. And the, the structure is very ugly. Sounds and, very Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but then because of COVID, it closed. And so it didn't even see, hmm. Hmm. like, I, I, I don't even think the Nickelodeon, because the, the, the theme park was supposed to be Nickelodeon Universe, and it's an indoor amusement park. I don't think it even saw, uh, gee, like a week of being oh, opened. Man. And so the entire mall was shut down. And they, were, they announced only a few days ago that they're going to open it again. But, I, but a lot of the anchor stores, like all the major stores that were supposed to keep this thing popular and alive, pulled out. Right. They decided they're not going to have a location there anymore. It's, and I said, well, you know, there's a lot of factors in play why the Meadowlands experiences failed, but it, it opens up the concept of, you know, curses and hauntings right. and things like that. Well, yeah. that's why, because, you know, the Indian burial ground or, you know, the ghosts of mafia. And so that, like, I did it a bit tongue in cheek and I did it because I like, I, I have a soft spot and I, I feel fond of these local folklore type things. I mean, uh, my apartment, we've got like a statue of the headless horseman, uh, in my apartment. Cause that's, I feel like a very local type of Hudson Valley type of a thing. And that's our local monster. 
the Jersey Devil I was huge into, still am. That was my first ever episode. And so I did it to kind of see what people would kind of yeah. do with it. You know, like I, I'm almost kind of encouraging creating some sort of urban legend about it in a way. And that that's what my most recent episode is on. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, be, be sure to check that out. Uh, you're on Spotify. You're on all the places. I'm an anchor, so it's yeah. on a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when's your uh, what's your next one that you're thinking of of doing? Uh, you know, it's funny because I was lying in the couch thinking that uh, coming up, I might not be the next one, but I'll have a a friend from college. He he is a he studied U.S. history in college uh, in a different college than I did, but uh, paranormal the paranormal and the presidents, what have the presidents experienced maybe in the white house and things like that? Because of course the most, one of the more famous places that has been haunted in the United States is the Lincoln bedroom in the white house. And they say that Lincoln's ghost, Abraham Lincoln's ghost will appear and to whoever sleeps there and so on and so forth. So that's an upcoming episode. Next episode, I got to say might be the beast of uh, Jevedon. Okay. (laughs) That really interested me. So Look out for those. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time, Christian. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. All right. Once again, that was Christian Gonzalez, um, the host of the podcast Monsters of History. For all things monster related, be sure to check that out. Um, It was a great conversation with him. Probably my biggest takeaway is this uh, growing demonization between you know, the, the right side and the left side of society and, you know, how they're, they're not really listening to each other. Instead, they're just, you know, making enemies out of each other. And I think that, you know, there's, there's things that we can learn, things that we can hear on both sides. And if we want to educate people, then that's what it takes. It's a conversation, right? So if we don't want to create more monsters, We need to have a level of empathy for our fellow people. So thank you for listening. Um, I'm Robert Grant. And yeah, be sure to share this podcast with all your friends and family. Thank you.